You see, the last year in this country, 550 homicides were committed. There were over 700,000 violent crimes reported. Over 35,000 sexual offences were also recorded. And there were almost 20,000 racially motivated crimes. This is scary. One in four women are the victims of domestic violence at some stage in their lives. Feeling safe? Murder is a serious, uh, is a course, excuse me, murder of course is a serious crime because once it is done, it cannot be undone. Spontaneous killing, murder in the course of robbery, serial killing, and, and terrorist ki- killing have become part of our regular news reports. 42% of workers reported that yelling and verbal abuse took place where they worked. 23% of workers were driven to tears by their bosses. And <laughs> pause. <laughs> Most people do not know how to manage their anger. Violence is being pumped into our culture by the megatons, and we have spawned a new generation of movie heroes, Rambos, Terminators, and lethal weapons who die hard. I thought someone would get that joke, but, you know, I thought it was funny. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, thank you. So the the sixth commandment deals with the protection and sanctity of all human life and every stage of development from conception until natural death. So, therefore, all acts of deliberate murder are violations of this commandment because they involve the devaluation of life. Now, I just want to turn our attention to Genesis 126. I'm hoping it's come on the screen. Let's have a look at this. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This, for me, is a beautiful bit of scripture. And the first point to note is that life is from God. It was God who created us, who formed us from the dust and breathed life into us. Now, this is is important because life is not something that we automatically have or some sort of natural right. It is a gift from God. And because God has given us life to each of us, he alone is the one who takes it away. Once again, it is the God that It is God that the commandment hangs on. To murder is to take someone's life away, and that is simply beyond our authority. Secondly, it is here we find that at creation, God made human beings, me and you, and it was in his image. Now, I think that is pretty staggering. The fact that we have been made in God Almighty's image. I think sometimes we need to stop and ponder that thought just for a minute. The the, the God who put the stars in the skies, the, the God who sustains life, he made you and me. 
What's a God? Tell the person next to you, you've been made in God's image. Boom. You can add the boom if you want. Okay. Of course, you can bring it back now. Of course, we're not a clone of God. We are like him. We've been made in his likeness. Now, obviously, he didn't create us exactly like himself because God has no physical body. Instead, we are reflections of his glory. Like him, we are relational beings. We have the power to create, the power to speak things out. Uh, We have the capacity to think, to love. And ultimately, we have the privilege, denied to all other animals, of relating to him on a personal level. So as we bear his image or likeness, we are to be his representatives and little imitations of him. Another interesting point. In this account of creation, each day it finishes with, and God saw that it was good. But when we get to the creation of man and woman, the passage ends with, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. You see, we are unique to all of creation. God is saying that out of all the created beings, man is a creature in which he takes special joy. Why? Because we were made in his image. And, and the point is this, life is precious, and we are precious and of great value to God. Tell the person next to you, you are precious. I'm back. Oh, okay, well then. <laughs> So, back in the room, doesn't mean you have to have a conversation about it, I just want that line. (laughs) This whole idea underlies the issue raised by the commandment about taking life. A few chapters after the story of creation of the world, we read one of God's first warnings to people. For to kill a person is to kill a living being made in God's image. Now, as I said at the beginning, depending on what translation you have uh, in, your, in your Bible, the commandment will read either, you shall not kill, or thou shalt not kill, or you shall not murder. This is because both murder and kill are both proper translations of the Hebrew word. Uh, even in our language, uh, the English dictionary demonstrates that these two words can mean the same thing. For example... If a man shoots another man in front of a witness, the the witness may say, you killed him. That is true, but he will also be charged with murder. So, when interpreted as killing, coupled with some of Jesus' teaching on turning the other cheek and loving our enemies, some people come to the conclusion that killing in any situation is wrong. And uh, I have some friends who hold that view, um, and I really respect that. But for me, personally, I think... In this fallen world, I think there's certain criteria that the taking of life, though always a tragedy, can be the right action to take. For example, protecting my newborn son Joshua. If it was the last resort to stop an attacker uh, by killing them, I think I would. I think, to be honest, I probably would do it without hesitation. And I was just reminded when I was writing that down of the famous saying, Evil prevails when good men do nothing. But anyway, whatever side you stand when it comes on to killing, the sixth commandment isn't just about the negative concept that God is against murder or killing. 
it is also affirming a wonderful positive truth. And that truth is that we all have immense value and are to see each other as being made in the image of God. This truth, this truth applies to us in everyday life. Whenever we meet and deal with other people, it also applies to us every time we look in the mirror. We need to assert and reassert that all human beings are special. I love talking about Jesus and looking at what he says. Um, and in a minute we're going to have a look at what he has to say on the matter. Um, he seems to go a bit further than the commandment and suggests that breaking the sixth commandment is not as far from each of us as we think. So let's have a look at what he said. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Well, I'm pretty sure none of us in the room have ever used the word Raka as an insult. That's because it's an Aramaic insult which could be translated as fool, but in a harsh, contemptuous way, uh, implying the person doesn't deserve to be alive. Jesus is teaching us that murder is just the ultimate and most destructive form of anger. And it is where anger, if left unchecked, can end up. So God wants, uh, God wants not to not only stop the action of murder, he wants to go further and stop those things in our thought life that act as the seeds of murder. We heard last week from Foxy that lust was the root of adultery. It was not just the outward physical action, it was the inward action of the heart in lust. Here, Jesus makes it plain that the crime of murder is not simply the shedding of blood, it is about the hatred that leads up to it. I just realized my phone is on, I'm just going to turn that off, because it just beeped in my pocket, and that would be embarrassing if it rang. So, it's all right, it's all right. It should also be said that anger itself is not wrong. Anger is amoral, and actually it's a secondary emotion, because we tend to resort to anger in order to protect ourselves from or cover up other vulnerable feelings. A A primary feeling is what is felt immediately before we feel anger. We almost always feel something else before we first get angry. Now, we might first feel afraid, attacked, offended, disrespected, forced, trapped, or pressured, or many other things. Um, If any of these feelings are intense enough, we think of the emotion as anger. See, anger is often an emotion that shows that we care. Imagine if we didn't get angry about things. It would betray a couldn't-care-less attitude. Uh, The famous Saint Augustine said, Hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. Anger at the present situation and courage to believe it can be changed. I like that quote. It was, I kind of tweeted that the other day. You might have seen it, but I like it. Interestingly, the word appears 455 times in the Bible, and 375 are credited to God. God 
gets angry. What kind of God would he be if he didn't get angry? He gets angry at injustice, hypocrisy and lies. And at people who inflict pain on each other. Jesus himself gets angry in the temple at the way people were making money out of sacrifices because it got in the way of people meeting with God. I want to um, just show you four different types of anger um, that Jajun has kind of come up with, and they're going to come up on the screen. And the first one is the maniac, Homer Simpson. <laughs> Why I order. So the maniac is a pressure cooker just waiting to explode. These people have a short fuse and can blow up at any time and in any place. Their anger spills out and is obvious. When they are angry, you and everybody else around know about it. These people can get angry at the slightest of thing. If this is you, remember your... You, your anger is the one. Th- now your temper is missing. Is the one thing you don't you don't get rid of by losing it. Okay, the next, the mute. I didn't have a good picture of someone who's uh, kind of sums up the mute anger. So I have two pictures of people who kind of were mute in the other sense. The first person, <laughs> the, f- the first the first person uh, is obvious. Who's that? Charlie Chaplin. The second, I'm not going to ask Barry because we were talking about him and Richard because we were talking about him the other day. Who knows who the second picture is? Yes, Harpo. Harpo Marx. Not Willy Wonka, no. (laughs) Alright, so mutes don't blow up. They clam up. They're people who cannot or will not show their anger in public or in a relationship. Instead, they just bottle it up. The problem is, when we don't express our anger, our bodies keep the score. Anger eats us up, some, sometime literally, and it does no good. Many of those who mute their anger end up with ulcers, depression, and other symptoms as a direct result of their bottled-up anger. Next, please. The martyr, Eeyore. Ah, indeed. <laughs> the martyr never gets angry because everything is their fault. They act like guilt magnets, always blaming themselves for what happened. These are the people who throw a pity party and invite only themselves. And finally, the fourth, the manipulator, Dr. Gregory House. Whoever, anyone watch House here? Will definitely know each of these statements. Seriously sum up this guy. So, manipulators are those who express their anger by getting even. The situation that has annoyed them may never be mentioned again, but they make sure by their actions that they inflict revenge on the person who angered them. Some people can do this by always being late or deliberately forgetting things. Now, of course, I'm not going to ask you which one you are. Um, But if you're probably like me, you can probably relate to a few of them. And interestingly, uh, apart from the manipulator, there are healthy things Uh, about the three responses to anger. So the positive side to the maniac, or Homer, is at least they let their anger out, and you know where you are with them. Uh, The negative side is that you don't want to be around them when they blow up. It can be quite tense, either living or working with them. I'm very glad my wife is not here. (laughs) Because I am the maniac, not her. (laughs) 
that came out very wrong. Okay, the positive side of the newt is a high level of self-control. Negatively, they ignore the fact that God wants to be honest and genuine about our feelings of anger. If problems are not brought into the open, it's hard to see how they can be sorted out. And martyrs. Martyrs don't even consider themselves to be in the right and therefore have a humble attitude. But to always consider yourself at fault doesn't seem to be honest. It may even result in agreeing with something wrong. Okay, so... How do we manage our anger? I'm going to give us five principles to go through. Number one, I need to admit my anger. You can repeat that. I need to admit my anger. Very good. You see, when you have to swallow your own medicine, the spoon seems very large. But you need to admit it to yourself, to your partner, and to God. We make things worse when we pretend something's not a problem. If we don't talk about it, we'll take it out. Uh, If we don't talk it out, we'll take it out. We take it out on ourselves, on other people, and then we can take it out on God. As said earlier, there's legitimate anger. But when we are angry, we must not sin. The issue is not how do I get rid of my anger, but how can I express anger in non-destructive ways. Principle two, I need to deal with anger straight away. Repeat, I need to deal with anger straight away. Don't hold on to it. Don't, don't let it turn into a grudge. The Bible says, don't sin by letting the anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. You see, when we hold on to anger, it opens us up to evil implications. Anger repressed hardens bitterness in the heart. And when anger ferments in your heart for a while, it can easily turn to hate. Third principle, I need to understand anger. Repeat, I need to understand anger. Anger is usually covering a hurt. And if you look under the hurt, you'll find an expectation. If you look under the expectation, you'll find a need. A sequence of irritating events can build up pressure until finally a relatively insignificant incident can trigger an eruption. Boom. So you might be angry with your parents uh, for decades and then your child does something that's very minor. But you just see red. And the pressure, but the pressure's been building and building and you kind of misdirect your anger towards the kid. Fourth principle I need to stop and think before I speak. I need to stop and think before I speak. Speak when you are angry and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. (laughs) If you keep your mouth shut, you won't put your foot in it. The Bible says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. The problem with anger is that it seldom gives us what we want. In fact, it usually does the opposite. Those amongst us who are maniacs, does anyone ever say, I just love it when you explode. Could you break any more plates, please? When angered, stop before you act. Otherwise, you may regret it. All right, fifth principle. 
Last one. I need to ask God to fill me with his Holy Spirit. I need to ask God to fill me with his Holy Spirit. I wonder what your boiling point is. There's a proverb that says, the emptier the pot, the quicker it boils. The Bible says when you're connected to God, his spirit is in you. And when he lives in you, it says his spirit produces fruit. The fruit of the spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Well done, Vicar. Glad he knows them. Self-control. How do you get self-control? Well, I think you get self-control by letting God's Spirit come into you. God's presence in us creates self-control. To have God in us influencing the way we speak, the way we think, and the way that we act. You see, whatever is inside us is going to come out. When the pressure is on, and we get squeezed by irritations, inconveniences, and interruptions, whatever is in us is going to come out. Society says the lawbreaker is a criminal. Jesus said that every criminal act begins in the heart, in the mind. Has anyone here committed murder in the room? Probably not. Have you committed murder in your heart? Have you committed murder with your words? Do you need to get a handle on your anger? Would you like your life to be filled with God's holy presence? Producing fruit. It's a choice, and God gives us that choice. I think if we're honest, we've probably all broken this commandment in one way or another. But the amazing thing is, is that God even forgives murder if we are repentant and humble. So in the Bible, just coming into the land, leave you with this. In the Bible, there was a man called Moses who murdered. There was a man called David who murdered. He murdered this man to cover up uh, his adultery with the, man, with the man's wife. There was also a man called Paul in the Bible who murdered Christians. But these three people all repented, all encountered God, and God took three ex-murderers to write most of the Bible. That is pretty good news for murderers. Pretty good news for us. Because if God can take three ex-murderers to write most of the Bible then there is hope for us all. Amen? Amen. Okay, I'm just going to ask you to stand, and we're going to pray. I'm going to ask the band to get up on stage as well. And I'll just ask uh, everyone to close their eyes. I'm just going to say a couple of things I think God may be saying, and we're going to pray, and we're going to worship. Um... A couple of things came to me when I was preparing this, uh, actually earlier, and I thought, you know, when we're talking about uh, 
value and being made in God's image. I wonder if there's anyone here who's thinking, I would love to see uh, myself um, through God's eyes. I'd love to really know in my heart that God has made me in his image and I'm uh, a child of God and valued by him. And if if that's kind of uh, been uh, wrestling with you this evening, we would love to come and pray with you. Uh, the other thing is, maybe when I was talking about uh, anger, you were thinking, you know what, I know I've got an issue with, with anger somewhere in my life, and I would love to get uh, God's presence, God's peace, God's self-control. And I really, really do believe that through His Spirit, God can change us. So I'd love to invite you up as well. If you're thinking, I, I want to I go there with God and, and deal with my anger, I'd love to... Uh, come and pray pray with you as well so we're just gonna gonna worship and if either of those two things uh speak to you just ask you to come forward and the the prayer team would love to pray with you okay thank you